Welcome to the RE Podcast, the first dedicated RE podcast for students and teachers. Season 2, Episode 5, The One Where the World Was Created. My name is Louisa Jane Smith and this is the RE Podcast, the podcast for those of you who think RE is boring, which it is, and I'll prove it to you. But before we start this week's episode, I wonder if there's anyone listening who has thought about starting their own podcast. Maybe you've just thought about it for the first time as I said that sentence. Well, I could not have started this podcast without Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout makes starting a podcast really easy. You can even do it for free for the first three months to take out that risk factor. At Buzzsprout, they tell you everything you have to do to start one up and will host it for you. They give you all your statistics, how many people are listening on what platform, where in the world. It also gives you tips on how to improve your podcast. For a newbie podcaster like me and for someone who isn't really tech savvy, Buzzsprout made the RE podcast happen. Just go to buzzsprout.com. I've put a link in the show notes and it would be great if you could use it if you wanted to start your own podcast. I wonder what you would do a podcast on. Anyway, back to the episode. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Or did he? Some think he did, some think he didn't. Some people aren't sure one way or the other. I wonder what you think. Well, let's consider what we know. We know that we exist, we know that the Earth exists, and we know that the universe exists. But we also know that they haven't always existed. So there has to have been a time when the universe, the Earth, and us did not exist. Therefore, something must have happened to cause them to come into existence. But what or who? When he was about four or five, my son said to me, Mummy, I know you and Daddy made me, but who made the first humans? Well, let's consider his question for a moment. You exist. You were caused by your parents. I'll let you ponder on that for a moment, but not for too long. It's a bit yucky. Your parents were caused by their parents. I won't ponder on that at all. They were caused by their parents, by their parents, and their parents, and their parents, and their parents, and their parents, and... Well, there can't be infinite regress of parents. Scary phrase alert, infinite regress. Regress means to go back. Infinite means there is no end. So cause can't go back forever. There cannot be infinite parents. There has to be the first parents. And these first parents need to have had a cause. And at some point... There has to be something which is the first cause that itself has no cause. Otherwise, we would have to ask what caused that thing and that thing and that thing. And then we're back to infinite regress again. In philosophy, we call things that need to have a cause contingent. So I am contingent because I need a cause. The chair I am sitting on is contingent because it needs a cause. You are contingent because you need a cause. And the universe is contingent because it also needs a cause. The first cause cannot be contingent because it can't need a cause. So we'll call it a necessary being. It has to exist because it is the cause of everything else. These phrases were coined by a famous philosopher called Aristotle, who also said there had to be an uncaused causer and an unmoved mover who moves things from not existing to existing. This all gets much more philosophical. Are you ready? Deep breath. (sighs) Right. Aristotle said that if something is cold, it is not hot. Genius. But it does have the potential to become hot. 
In order to actually become hot, it needs something which is already hot to make it hot. So let's think about a kettle. The water in the kettle is cold. We want it to be hot. So we put electricity into the kettle in order to heat it. And then the water becomes actually hot. Right. So at some point we didn't exist and then we did exist. And this happened because something which did exist caused us to exist. Therefore, God must exist to cause everything else to exist. Remember Aquinas? I think I've mentioned him before. St Thomas Aquinas, Catholic monk, came up with the just war theory, decided that sin was passed on seminally. Anyway, he developed this argument a bit more. Cosmology is the study of the universe, so any argument that tries to explain the cause of the universe as God are called cosmological arguments. St Thomas Aquinas thought that the universe is proof that God exists. His basic argument is that the universe needs a cause and God is the only thing that is able to be the cause of the universe, so therefore God exists. And why is God the only cause of the universe? Well, first of all, the cause of the universe has to be outside time because it has to have started time. You can't start time unless you existed before time. And if you existed before time, you must be an eternal being. Right. If your head is getting a little bit muddled, then do this. Take any oblong object like a phone, a pen, a ruler, a TV remote. Hold it in one hand out in front of you. With your empty hand, point to one end of the object. This is the beginning of time. Now, point to the other end of the object. This is the end of time. We are somewhere in between. God is where you are currently standing, outside of time. So he has no beginning and no end. Blows our little tiny minds, doesn't it? So, God is infinite and caused time to exist. God is also all-powerful. Another very helpful quality if you are going to create a universe. So God does seem to have some necessary qualities with which to create a universe. And ta-da! Aquinas suggests that God is the necessary being that caused all subsequent contingent things to come into being and therefore he must exist. It was another dude called Mackey who said that there cannot be infinite regressive cause. There had to be a first cause, which itself had no cause. He used the analogy of a train. Each carriage in a train is pulled by the carriage in front of it. But there has to be a first carriage with an engine and a driver that pulls the carriages along. There's a similar cosmological argument in Islam too. It's called the Kalim argument and says that whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. If the universe has a cause, then an uncaused creator of the universe exists and cannot have begun to exist. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that it doesn't have to be God that caused the universe. It could be the Big Bang. In fact, you're thinking it's probably more likely to be the Big Bang as there is scientific evidence for it. And there is no scientific evidence for God. Okay, let's explore that for a minute. Before we go on, let's make sure you fully understand what the Big Bang is. First of all, it's a theory. It's not a scientific fact. Yes, it has got evidence which makes it our best theory yet, but we cannot reenact it and watch it happen like we can watch water boil at 100 degrees. 
So therefore, the Big Bang remains a theory. More about the evidence in a bit, but first of all, what actually is it? Some people, I'm sure this is not you, mistakenly think it is an explosion in space, as if space existed and the Big Bang happened within that space. But actually, something much more profound than that happened. The Big Bang created time and space. Time and space did not exist. Then the Big Bang happened and it created space, time, matter and all the energy that exists in the universe. But what caused the Big Bang? Honestly, scientists have very little idea. Some think that there was a universe before us that collapsed and we emerged from that collapsed universe. There are some theories about black holes, but as we can't observe it, no one really knows. So what is the evidence for the Big Bang? Well, obviously it's that the universe is still expanding, like a balloon being blown up, but at the speed of 80 kilometres per second, or about 150,000 miles per hour. I know, right? Ever wondered what it's expanding into? That question really freaks me out. And how do we know it's expanding? Well, there's this massive telescope called the Hubble Telescope, named after Edwin Hubble. Well, it can measure the distance between objects in space and can observe that they're moving away from each other. The other piece of evidence is redshift. This is only created when galaxies are moving away from each other. There's also something called cosmic wave radiation, essentially energy left over from the Big Bang. Also, the amount of helium and hydrogen that exists tells us how fast the universe is expanding. There'd be more or less if the Earth was expanding at a different rate. But here's that question. What caused the Big Bang? What caused that dense hot space that expanded into our universe, our solar system, our planet, and eventually the complex organism that is the human being? Some people think God caused the Big Bang. I mean, it's not beyond the realm of possibility. I mean, what does it say in the Bible that God created first? Hey parents. Yeah, you. Are you looking for a podcast your kids will really love? Well, we made one just for you. And for us. As genuine, all-natural kids ourselves, we know what makes a fun and interesting podcast. So we decided to make it ourselves. Every show is packed with interviews, stories, and on-the-ground reporting. We have interviewed everyone from scientists to Grammy Award-winning musicians to NFL quarterbacks. Listen to Wild Interest wherever you get your podcasts. Let there be light. Could this be a simple way of explaining the Big Bang? One of the first things the Big Bang created after around 10 seconds were photons, light particles. So maybe... Liberal Christians have no problem whatsoever in considering that the Big Bang happened. The significant thing is that God created the world. How he did it is not important. They believe the Bible isn't always meant to be taken literally. I mean, if it was, then Christians would be gouging their eyes out every time they looked lustfully at somebody, as this is what Jesus told them to do. But there are fundamentalist Christians who believe the whole of the Bible is the literal word of God and cannot be interpreted. So if the Bible doesn't mention a Big Bang, then a Big Bang didn't happen. You can kind of understand this. If the Bible isn't the literal word of God, then anyone could start interpreting it any way they wanted and the whole of Christianity would fall apart. 
Well, maybe Jesus didn't exist, or maybe he did, but he didn't actually die. Well, he might have died, but he definitely didn't rise again. It's just a metaphor, man. Maybe there isn't even a God. What many people don't know is that up until the 1850s, the Bible was believed to be the oldest book in the world. And the Hebrews who wrote it were the first to write about this creation story. But then we discovered the Enuma Elish, a Mesopotamian text that predates the Hebrew Bible by about 300 years. And it has a very similar creation story. It is now thought that the Enuma Elish was actually the inspiration for the creation story in Genesis, as well as some other famous biblical stories like the fall of man and the story of the flood. Both stories start with water and darkness and chaos. Then light is created. Then the heavens are made. And finally, man is created and order is bought from the chaos. When my son asked me where the first humans came from, I answered that some people believed God created it and other people think there was a big bang. So either God caused the world or it was the big bang or God caused the big bang. All are plausible. As an agnostic, I have to admit that God creating the world feels more plausible than a hot space suddenly appearing and beginning a process that ended in the complex universe we have today. But I also think that the world I see around me doesn't particularly point to a powerful, all-loving God. Hence, I am agnostic. So, what happened after the Big Bang? Well, for billions of years, there was just this crazy, angry, cosmic soup. After millions of years, all the elements spinning around in space started joining together to form things like stars and planets and atmospheres and water. When you have a star shining on a planet with water on it, you start to get life. So life began in the sea on Earth with single cell organisms. Over time, they joined together to form multi-celled organisms like sponges. And those multi-celled organisms got more complex over time. So you started getting things like fish, then birds, then land animals. And finally, the most complex organism of all time, humans. From the Big Bang until now is about 14.8 billion years. And our planet has only existed for about 4.6 billion years. And humans have only existed for about 200,000 years. So if you believe in a six-day creation from Genesis, then the numbers don't quite fit. So many fundamentalist Christians reject evolution, this process where things have become more complex over time. Remember, they believe the Bible is literal. So if it says six days, it means six days of 24 hours. However, liberal Christians claim that the original Hebrew word used in the book of Genesis is yom, which means period of time. This could be 12 hours, 24 hours, a year, or any other period of time. In which case, each thing was created by God within a period of time. So, maybe Genesis describes the process of evolution in very simple terms. The order is certainly similar. In Genesis, God created light, then sky, then seas and land, then trees and plants, then the sun and the moon, then sea animals, birds, land, animals, and finally humans. According to science, there was a Big Bang, then space, then stars, then planets, then life in the seas, life in the sky, life on land, and finally humans. Not an exact match, but certainly starting with light, ending with humans. So is there evidence for evolution? Well, let's go back to Charles Darwin. 
He was a theist, someone who believes in God, and also a scientist. He was interested in why the same species of animal was different in different places. For example, in the Galapagos Islands, finches would have different shaped beaks depending on which island they were on and which food source was available to them. On an island with lots of insects, they would have longer, thinner beaks to extract insects from their burrows. On an island with more nuts and berries, the finches would have shorter, fatter beaks, ideal for crushing this food source. Through this observation, he concluded that species adapt to their surroundings for the purpose of survival. He called this natural selection. Nature would select the genetic code which was better at surviving, presumably because if you don't have the right genetic equipment to survive, you die without passing on your genes. If you are suited to your environment, then you will survive longer and are more likely to mate and pass on your genetic code. But all this happened totally randomly. Totally random genetic mutations. Let's take the giraffe as an example. Originally, they had short necks, which meant they had to compete for the food that existed at the height of their mouth. One day, a freak giraffe was born with a slightly longer neck. Initially, all the other giraffes laughed at him because of his freakishly long neck. But he was able to reach the source of food that none of the other giraffes could reach. So while others competed for the food lower down, he had full unbridled access to the higher branches. As such, he became bigger and stronger than all the other giraffes and a much more attractive mate. All the female giraffes wanted his babies and the long neck genes were quickly passed to the new generation of giraffe. Now, this is called microevolution, small changes within species that help them to survive. But macroevolution suggests that one species evolves into a completely new but more complex species. And that is where humans came from, that we are simply a more highly evolved ape. This is still theoretical, so not all scientists are convinced this explains the origin of human life. By the way, did you know that there is believed to have been between 15 and 20 species of humans? But we are the only ones who have survived, us Homo sapiens. You may have heard of some of the others, Homo erectus, Neanderthal. If you read Humankind by Rutger Bregman, that I mention a lot, I know, his belief is that we survived because of our ability to work as a team and support each other. We certainly weren't the most intelligent species of human, so that's nice. Most Christians have a real problem with the scientific theory that humans evolved from apes. This is because they believe that humans were made in the image of God. Imago Dei in Latin if you want to be Ponzi. As such, we are a completely distinct creation made higher above animals. In the Bible it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female, he created them. Before we explain what being made in the image of God actually means, did you notice that God refers to himself in the plural? Let us make mankind in our image. Interesting, right? Best explanation is the Trinity, that God is three persons in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All are present at the time of creation. God the Father is creator, Jesus is the word of God as we have learnt in the Christmas episode at the end of season one, and the Holy Spirit breathed life into the creation. 
But Christians maintain there is only one God in three parts. So the use of plural is interesting here. Right, so back to being made in the image of God. Being made in the image of God could mean many things. One, we were brought to life with the breath of God, the Holy Spirit. Genesis 2 verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. This did not happen with any other part of creation. It could mean that we are able to understand right from wrong and make moral decisions, whereas other animals act on instinct. The third meaning is that we are eternal like God and able to exist beyond death. Due to no conclusive evidence for macroevolution and the belief that humans are made in the image of God, most Christians do not believe we evolved from apes. It's quite a popular belief to think that there is a conflict between science and religion, but actually, there hasn't been a conflict between science and religion for most of human existence. Science and religion were interchangeable. It was simply humans asking questions about why we are here and where we come from. It's only in about the last 100 years or so that science and religion have appeared to be at odds. In actual fact, around 70% or so of scientists actually believe in God, and many religious people accept the theories of the Big Bang and evolution. But I think sometimes we humans like to create conflict between two groups when generally there isn't. Science and religion could just be answering different questions. Science answers how, and religion answers why. In conclusion, I would like to quote Albert Einstein, who said, Science without religion is lame. Religion without science is blind. So maybe we need both to make sense of the world. A few years after my son asked me who caused the first humans, and I answered that some people thought God and other people believed it was the Big Bang, he said to me that he had decided to believe in God because believing in the Big Bang won't make any positive difference to your life, but believing in God will. And what a wonderful way to end the episode. I don't really mind what anyone believes as long as it produces positivity to you and to the world. So let's just be thankful for our own existence, however we got here. If you'd like to let me know your beliefs about the creation of the world, then tweet me at the RE Podcast One or sign up on my website, www.therepodcast.co.uk to receive exclusive extra interviews and find out when new episodes are out first. Go to Buzzsprout using the link in the show notes if you fancy starting your own podcast and listen out for my voice on Teacher Hug Radio. Go to teacherhugradio.co.uk. And one more thing. If any of you listeners study or teach A-level RE or are thinking about doing it, can I recommend the RE A-level podcast with Sarah Fletcher? Available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Oh my goodness, that's a lot to remember. Don't worry, I'll add it all to the show notes. My name is Louisa Jane Smith and this has been the RE Podcast, the podcast for those of you who think RE is boring, which it is. I just proved it to you. But thank you so much for letting me bore the life 